Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. talking about, you know, the fate of ACOs and um, 
whether they're going to sustain or what's going to happen, what the changes, you know, what these new changes from CMS are going to mean. And, you know, if you were at our conference, you wouldn't feel anything other than great enthusiasm for these models. Um, like you said, the conference was much bigger. We had almost 350 people attend this year. And um, I think the vibe was definitely, um, you know, interest in um, the changes, but, but excitement about what's happening in value-based healthcare. And I think to your question, um, certainly the theme was, you know, what those changes were, you know, the pathways to success, the impact of that to the existing ACOs and new entries. Um, I think, you know, can, are people ready to take risks? You know, does this mean, what does it mean? around um, being a high-revenue versus low-revenue entity and, and how do these changes impact them. And I think, you know, just a lot of conversation there. You, we also have the standard blocking tackling stuff around how to, how to be successful in an ACO, um, and those are always popular um, panels and, and conversations. Um, but certainly change was probably the biggest theme. Yeah, it was, it was interesting because, in the in the general market, in the sense you're hearing more on a national basis, you know, with CMS's recent announcements of a proposal to go to a two-sided risk more quickly, certainly some concern you hear on the national level. But I noticed, you know, from a, maybe a majority of the folks there who were Florida-based, that they were much less concerned about that. I guess because their outcomes and they've already been able to show they can handle the risk. Yeah, I mean, Florida historically has been a great market for this. You know, not only is there lots of success in MA in Florida and taking risks, percent of premium type deals, um, certainly the ACOs have flourished. I think I put something up on the on um, the projector that said 70% um, of ACOs in Florida have made money and not too much different a percentage, 62 I think it was, that um, have actually received a check and it met their minimum savings rate. And so, you know, Florida is a great market. I mean, the two most successful ACOs in, in um, the country reside in Florida, and they're led by independents. And so, you know, and for Florida, it's almost bring it on. You know, we're a little nervous, but we're, we're going to be ready for this. <laughs> and you, you, you mentioned it, too, that these two most successful ones are um, sort of, um, you know, provider type led, and there's some data now. You know, that's been pretty clear around some of that. Maybe you can fill our audience in on some of that information. Sure. Yeah. I mean, even the CMS regs kind of um, take that into account in the high revenue versus low revenue. You can define that as hospital versus, you know, independent. Um, it's saying, you know, guys, you know, if you're gonna, if you're gonna be in this space, if you're gonna take uh, if you're going to do value-based healthcare, you need to take it seriously. Otherwise, you know you're going to lose um, the game to the independents. And I think um, you know Florida is a great example of that. They're, the independents are taking the lead. You know they don't have the, you know they don't have the um, the issues around pivoting their business model that hospitals do in order to really take value-based healthcare seriously. And but I think those that want to, you know, I always say, not not stay blockbuster and, and become Netflix are the ones that are really going to have to embrace this and, and, and really take on value-based healthcare and look at seriously how they're going to have to pivot their, their business model to um, dollar one at the physician health organization versus in the hospital and look at the hospital cost as operational. And I think that's if, if hospitals get in the game in a serious way, that's what they've got to do to be successful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, 
I think it's become clear whether you're looking at globally capped primary care docs, Medicare Advantage space, or others, that the ability to maybe perhaps be a bit more nimble and not have the huge infrastructure is helpful. At the same time, you did have presentations by healthcare systems that are gung-ho about this stuff and even looking maybe further down the road at provider-sponsored health plans, so really covered the waterfront. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not I'm not counting them out by any means. I'm just saying that, you know, everything's pushing them to be more aggressive on this path to risk. And I think, the you know, the the early adopters or the ones that see that are, are, are definitely aggressively doing that, and, and you saw some of their, their talks at the conference for sure. <laughs> right, and you had a really interesting keynote by Todd Park, who happened to, um, you know, have his company announce a nice big investment coming in to Devoted Health, like right before the conference, talking about this push of volume to value. What's your sense of, you know, ACO versus Medicare Advantage and and uh, where that sort of plays out? Well, I think, you know, there's so many companies out there, I talk to them all the time, who really look at the ACO space as a way to grow MA lives, and, and I think they've got it wrong. I mean, I think, um, you know, whoever's doing one should be doing the other because, you're never going to convince, and, and historic change patterns show this, you're never going to convince all patients to go MA, even though I think a lot of people would like that because it makes it easier, those models are more mature. And I think, you know, really it's about being successful in both models and how do you get the mind share of the doctors, you know, towards this, this glide path to value and if you can embrace both, then that's where you're going to ultimately have success. You know, certainly people have put their stake in the MA um, ground versus the ACO ground, but together is where you're going to ultimately get, you know, these, these models to move to value. Um, I think you're starting to see with the, the move to the more risks that these models are looking more like MA. But at the end of the day, you know, I believe ACOs have actually more ability to um, reduce medical costs because they're more focused on that versus MA is still, even though the changes are coming, are still very focused on the revenue side of risk coding and how do we, you know, make our patients sicker in order to increase our um, top line. And so I think, um, you know, both both are going to get us down the path, though. Yeah, I also noticed at the conference that it wasn't just a lot of times the ACO conferences are focused on primary care and hospital. And this had some pretty substantial discussions around post-acute and and all of those services and how you link them in and how important they are. So it really covered that. And, and um, I think, it, you know, it's it's nice to see that area being considered. Have, are you beginning to see that broader outside of perhaps um, what we're seeing here in Florida? Any sense on that? Well, I think, I think post-acute. Acute is the new frontier. It's where people see where the opportunity is. I think it was first recognized under bundles that for hospitals who were doing bundles, um, post-acute was where they could um, reap reward without having to, to, you know, do some things within the hospital. I think on the ACO side or any value-based contract, they're, they're really seeing that there's so much spin in post-acute that they've got to manage that better. And so you're seeing things around um, – Community care and you know uh, you know some connectivity with you know post-acute facilities you know home health and how do we get better in the, you know connected to the home how do we move more people to the home I and mean, all that is really hot conversations now and I think that's going to continue to grow I think um, also specialists which we didn't have as much 
this year, but I think we'll have more next year on how specialists can really play in this value-based healthcare journey. And, and they've a little bit been left out, but I think more bundled programs, um, things like that are going to come that are going to, you know, engage specialists more. Mm-hmm. What's what's also fascinating, and probably, and seems to get a little bit less attention because CMS, you know, grabs so much of the air around their ACOs, is that the larger ACOs are, or the greater number is actually in the commercial sector, but you hear less about it. And I know there was a closing panel with provider groups, and I, that's really been a vehicle they've looked at rather substantially to meet the needs of employers. Well, every year I do that payer panel for just that reason because, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think there there are a lot more um, commercial ACOs than we um, we talk about, mostly because the data to gather them and, and share how many and how the success and the numbers and all that is just harder to get because each individual has their own flavor of what that means. But what I do try to do at the conference is get all the payers together. We had Florida Blues, we had Aetna, we had Cigna, we had um, – uh, United Healthcare there, and the folks that were on the panel were the folks representing the value-based healthcare strategies and contracting, and and you could see from the content that they share that every one of them is aggressively going down this path and wants to build relationships. Many of our um, members and attendees have, have been able to secure contracts um, in the commercial space because of the conference and because of who they've met there, but it's definitely growing, and I, and I do believe you're right that it's, there's more commercial ACOs or value-based type contracts um, than there is even MSSP at this point. And when you look down this next year's before your um, next year's conference, uh, which I can imagine after the growth of this one, maybe you may need to find a, like they say in, in JAWS, a bigger boat, you may need a bigger right. hotel. Um, do you, um, what sort of things do you think we should be looking for from ACOs or any changes you might see? Well, I think, you know, the regs are still not final, so we'll see, you know, what those what those end up being exactly. You know, um, I think there might be some small changes, but not too much. But I think next year we'll see the impact of that. You know, we still have um, until July to see who stays in this space, who, who really embraces risk versus who takes um, some more of the conservative models. Is there going to be, you know, I've always said, I think there's going to be aggregation, in the ACO space, but the number of providers and members will continue to grow. And, you know, does, is that true? Does that little crystal ball theory of mine come true, or do we get more, you know, entrees into it? And I think all of that is still a little bit unknown right now. And then, of course, how successful um, in taking the risk once they make those decisions on which path to go down, you know, we'll start to get some insight, um, you know, probably it'll be two years from now before we really see the impact of, of, of of how successful they're going to be as far as the financials and shared savings or the or the um, downside, you know, impact. But um, but I think all of that will be will start to be you know be a, a focus at next year's conference. And when you you mentioned aggregation, you you, you expect to see more aggregation. Is that um, between individual ACOs operating, or is that something you're seeing maybe through an Allidaid who was there or some of the other companies in that space or both? Well, I think it's going to be both. I think you're going to have, you know, capital coming in, you know, that, that will help uh, smaller ACOs take on risk. And in order to do that, you'll see some aggregation there. I think you're going to see companies like Allidaid and Navis and others 
and Agilon, I think, is an example um, of those that come in and enable as well as provide some capital or partner with those. I think I think you're just going to see a lot of movement. I think you're going to see MA come into um, um, the ACO space in order to get that mind share I spoke about, and I just think you're going to um, you know have all of that, lots of different flavors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've noticed even here in Northeast Florida and some of the more conservative communities, even those hospitals have suddenly said, yes, we have an ACO, it's doing well, we're, we're working on that model, and now we're going to roll out MA uh, based on what we learned from that ACO. So it really is something that makes sense. I think even in Miami, what is it, 60% of the folks are MAs, you still have 40% of the market out there on a fee-for-service basis. Right. I mean, that's the, the most intense MA market in the country, I think, and there's still mm-hmm. a huge opportunity for ACOs, and some of the most successful ACOs are down there because of it. Right. Right. And and, and so when you think of even other parts, I mean, that, as you said, that's the high, the high water mark is the 60% down in that South Florida market, and everywhere else is lower than that. So obviously, if you're going to go out there, you do need that dual strategy you talked about. Getting to... Um, uh, Another group you're working on, you're starting a new organization called Value H. Can you talk yes. about that? So, you know, Value H is really, when I started Flacos, it was really uh, back in 2013, it was really focused initially on MSSP ACO model. Um, it, was, it was new, it was, it was the front, you know, it was a groundbreaking value contract, and so we were very tightly focused. I've tried to broaden Flacco's um, mission to be all of value-based healthcare, and I think we've been successful in doing that. But as I've done that, I've looked out to the rest of the country and have not seen any other entity that, that has broadened uh, their scope. You've got NACOS, who's very, very much focused still on MSSP and policy, and their board is now full of um, probably outweighed by hospitals versus independents. You've got TIPA, who's you know trying to help independent physician organizations um, get educated on all things that impact them, including value, but probably just starting to scratch the surface of value. You've got HFMA, who's still very RevCycle hospital-focused, and I just can't find an entity that really embraces value-based healthcare across the board, across all stakeholders, and provides the network, the education, you know, all the things that you need to be successful in value-based health care and, and, and bring everybody together in one place. And so that's the point of Value H, this new association. And I think it's going to, you know, build off of the success of Flacco's, but, but just take it outside of the state of Florida. That's fantastic. Before we get a little deeper into it, you mentioned TIPA. Who is that or what group is that? That's the Independent Physician Organization, Independent um, Physician Association. And um, that's one that's out there. You've got CAPG. That's another one that's you know that's trying to broaden its scope. But I don't think anybody is really embracing every stakeholder across the board, which is the point of Value H. And if anybody's interested, go to www.valueh.com for our initial kind of teaser. Put your information in there. Give us your email, and as we start to roll out more, um, you can get um, more information and more involved as, as much as you want. That's a really going to be really interesting group um, because as you, as you said, we've got these ACOs over here, hospital organizations. We've got these primary care organizations over here. Um, we have population health organizations over there, but really an umbrella to bring together all of those different disciplines and domains would be fantastic. 
So nice to see you I launching think so. that. I think, yeah, I think so. I think it's needed, and, and I hope people embrace it and want to participate. Mm-hmm. One of the other areas that was touched on in the in the um, panels and is really critical is patient engagement. What's your sense of what's going on with that in the ACO world? Well, you know, I think I'm. I think that I've always said this: that patient engagement is is the next blockbuster drug. It's the thing that can really change um, how healthcare is delivered and make all these new value models successful. Some of the stuff that's coming out around retrospective versus prospective. You know, the ACO model was always retrospective, but they're now listening to concerns and, and giving some prospective options. I think can actually harm some of the initiatives around um, patient engagement. You know, if you go prospective, are, are these ACOs really going to drive to get everybody in AWV like they are now because they've got to manage that attribution? You know, are you going to start, you know, being more focused on care managing a population versus thinking of all kinds of unique ways to address, you know, all the cost issues, the systemic problems that, that occur in um, healthcare versus just managing these patients' conditions. And so I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that it makes some of these models easier to manage, but I'm a little worried that it's going to scale back some of the patient engagement activities, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah, it's really, like you said, it's uh I've always said like it's the holy grail of of healthcare if we can get the patients engaged in this, and particularly important in ACOs where you have this leakage. You know they can choose where they want to go, and and you can incur a lot of expenses if they end up, end up outside of your network. So the better you can get them engaged, the better you are. Right. Are there are there you know there was also a a, a really interesting discussion around full risk and capitation. Uh, they, as I travel around the country. You mentioned that term, and most most providers turn around and run. Um, what's your sense of that? And obviously, you had a whole panel on it in terms of uh, what you're seeing in the market. Of um, of this move into risk, I, I guess I'm. Yeah, yeah, going into risk and taking cap capitation. Or is, you know, most provider groups when you when you talk about that, they're very fearful of that. I mean, they're you know, two sided risk was enough, and now they're saying, well, maybe I got to go capitated. But yet, you've got a panel here talking about providers going to full global capitation. So, is, yeah, I, are you beginning to see that more? Well, I, yes, and I think Florida is probably you know ahead of the rest of the country, and that they 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 see this as the next horizon. You know, I think. Um, CMS adding the regional benchmarks allows you know some of the some of these groups to say okay we're going to get rewarded for doing better than our peers but really to get rewarded and not be minimized contract over contract by having to just constantly compete against yourself they have to take risk and I think they see that I think they're concerned but you know they're also talking to people around reinsurance and and how do I um, partner with you know capital partners and, and things like that to, to to offload some of the risk while they go in. So they are definitely um, moving down that pathway. I, I think CMS, like we talked about, is forcing them. But in Florida, because of their success, I think they're they're looking forward to it, and I think they're doing all the things um, and putting all the things in place um, to get there. You know, certainly there's next gen models, and and you're you're see, seeing you know folks take um, take the more aggressive tracks and so we'll but we'll see well you know we'll see over the next year or so how successful they've been 
And you touched on it a little bit. It was a hot topic at the conference and obviously around the nation was this issue of benchmarks, given some of the recent studies that said the benchmark methodology isn't the right one. What's your sense of that? Well, I think they're trying. You know, I, I think, um, you know, they're some of the risk, you know, they're moving the risk coding from three years to every year so that they can, you know, reward uh, when when these ACOs are, are are doing the things correctly to to, um, to identify the sickness of these patients. They're getting that back in their in their results. I think you know they're resetting. I think there was a renormalization that people really felt the impact for, but that was a one-time deal that they won't see going forward. The regional benchmarks for sure are going to help those high-performing um, ACOs. So the ones that have been doing better than their peers, new entries coming in, I think that's going to help them. They don't get full credit for that difference, and that's probably some angst, is that they only get partial credit for being better than their peers, but at least it's it's more than they were before. And so I think the bench, you know, CMS is listening. CMS is saying, okay, we want these things to continue to thrive because they're, they're truly saving money. How can we tweak the benchmark to make it... Um, make it uh, fair, you know, as these ACs mm-hmm. start to, to get success. So, so I think it's positive stuff. Great. Complex Great. stuff. And, and I think people are worried about right. understanding it, but definitely, you know, on the positive path. Yeah, definitely complex. As I was sitting in some of these panels listening to some of the folks talk through the calculations and the different risk levels and things like that, um, it, it's worth digging in, though, if you're an ACO because, you know, you hear people talk about, oh, well, there's a benchmark, and then you suddenly say, no, there are actually four numbers there for your benchmark, and uh, that was gone through very well at the uh, at the uh, event, at the conference. So it was, it was really interesting for me to hear from some of the people who have been doing it for a while in that area. Yeah, we had, we year, had the absolute experts who were part of – you know, part of coming up with these formulas at the conference. So, it was, yeah, so you're right. It was very, very informative. Mm-hmm. And and we're looking to next year, so October sometime, and maybe in the next, uh, what do you say, 30, 60 days, you'll have up uh, next year's conference possibly or dates for that? Yes, I didn't. I wasn't able to pick dates yet, but I'm going to hopefully have them picked and the hotel announced, you know, within the next 30 days, if not sooner. So, yes, but, it, but we try to stick in that that October time frame. Uh, and, and where should people go to get information on the conference or even to see last year's agenda, this, this agenda from just a week ago, which was excellent? www.flacos.com. And I think it's going to be about a week and a half, but we'll have all the conference presentations up on the website. Oh, fantastic. That'll be great. And, uh, you know, as I said, it was really an uh, incredible event. The presentations were first rate, and and as I've told people, uh, and routinely we we were talking about it even at the conference, the individuals that you bring talk real world stuff and 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 are willing to share. It's not a conference where people are holding things back or or talking theoretical. These are folks that are doing it, and I really applaud you for getting that kind of a conference set up. Thank you, thank you. I think um, I think it's I think it's a unique event. You know, we bring, like you said, those folks that are actually doing this stuff every single day, experts from you know other parts of the country as well, and and I think the collaborativeness and the and the ability to partner and even our sponsors, I think, feel it that people are willing to talk and hear about their solutions, and it's just a very unique conference from that perspective. <laughs> And obviously, October, great time to come down to Orlando 
and uh, enjoy some good weather and activities if you would like. It, it's, no better place than Florida in October. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. Well, uh, I really want to thank you, Nicole, for putting on an incredibly excellent event and um, look forward absolutely to next year's and heading down there again. Wonderful, and I appreciate both you and Greg's attendance every year and, and, and really putting the spotlight on this conference, so thank you. Well, it's really well, there our you pleasure. Have it. There you have it. Sorry about that, Fred. That'll have to be the last word on today's broadcast. I do want to thank our guest, Nicole Bradbury, who's the founder and CEO of FLACOS, the Florida Association of ACOs, and serves as president of the Florida market for Navis Healthcare for her time and insights today including the recap of the Flacos conference do follow Nicole and Flacos's work on the web via www.flacos.com and on Twitter by at Flacos that's F-L-A-A-C-O-S and at Navis N-A-V-V-I-S Pop Health respectively and finally if you're tasked with strategy Standing up an ACL or value-based healthcare initiative or otherwise feel drawn to uh, expand your skill set in this space, uh, do follow Pop Health Week on this Blog Talk Work Radio channel as well as our syndicated broadcast on Healthcare Now Radio. And until we meet again on Pop Health Week, for Fred Goldstein and Nicole Bradbury, this is Greg Nasters saying bye now. <laughs>